This is Women in STEM Career and Confidence, the podcast for scientific and professional women who want to restore confidence, make meaningful impact, and balance the things and people that mean most to them. I'm Dr. Hannah Roberts, and I'll be sharing with you insights and inspiration into the mindset and skill set to help you navigate your career and lead powerfully. Today's guest is Jennifer Colvin. She is Learning Undefeated's Chief Innovation Officer, and it's their mission to make STEM accessible and equitable for all. The way in which they do that is through mobile labs, and they bring science equipment and content right to the school doorstep. Incredible. When I spoke to Jen, she talked about those mobile labs being all different sizes, from maybe like the size of a van all the way up to taking up a full car park. Incredible. And in the podcast episode today, we talk about Jen's personal journey and why this is so important to her. She also introduces their new mentorship program, which focuses on empowering young Black and Latina women to build those scientific skills that will set them apart in their next applications. And we also talk about imagining the next iteration of the mobile lab. And I have a go at offering some suggestions and some design ideas. Um, and I would love to hear from you what you would put in one of these mobile labs. So let's dig in. Okay, so welcome to the show, Jennifer. I'm so happy to have you here. And I know um, it's it's early morning for you, is it not? <laughs> I, I don't think anyone's an early morning riser after the pandemic anymore, but I, I made it here and I'm ready to go. Thanks for having me. Perfect, perfect. So I wondered if you could start by, first of all, introducing yourself and telling us a little bit more about your career trajectory so far. Would that be okay? Absolutely, yes. I am the Chief Innovation Officer at Learning Undefeated, and I have a background in building and launching mobile laboratory programs that have served more than 1 million K-12 students across the U.S. We believe that mobile laboratories are critical for bringing science equipment and content right to a school's doorstep. They make STEM really accessible and equitable, especially in our underserved communities. I also provide strategic direction for Learning Undefeated's education portfolio, which includes a lot of game-based learning, distance and hybrid learning curricula, and disaster recovery and learning acceleration programs. All of these elements tie together in Learning Undefeated's overall mission to drive race and gender equity in STEM for students from schools and marginalized communities. Thank you. And that I can really hear the kind of vision in what you're talking about there. You know, it's about gender equality, race equality, underdeprived communities as well, all getting access to everything that that they need basically to have the same level of education as other people who don't have the same start in life. I am really interested to hear how you ended up being in Learning Undefeated. Like what was the the kind of moment or the transition point for you? Sometimes my career pathway feels a lot like the road less traveled, but I'm really happy to be where I am today. Um, I, I know now that I really wanted to be an engineer, but at the time I didn't realize that was a career choice for me. So instead I... <laughs> Instead, I set out to prove to myself that the chemistry teacher in high school who told me I wasn't smart enough to take his class was wrong. I never, I never got a chance to take high school chemistry, but I, that sure would have been helpful during college when I took all my chemistry courses. But I learned to never let someone who doesn't know me stand in the way of my education again. 
Um, so I, I can see how positive reinforcement and representation can encourage and empower our students. And that's built into my work today. So I, I have a background in biology and genomics. I had a great career working on things like the Human Genome Project at a research institute. But I knew that I wanted to do something different and help students realize that they could do this too. And so I, I ended up at Learning Undefeated more than 15 years ago. And, and our mission is to drive race and gender equity in STEM for students in, from schools in marginalized communities. And we do this through all of our work, but we're actively working to do it even better. So it's a constant work in pro progress. And all of my efforts are driven by my students. So we want to serve our students better. And we know that we need to make changes internally to continue to be able to do that. And that's where our drive to center racial equity, our drive to provide culturally relevant teaching, and our drive to be good allies for our students students come from. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that experience that you had. Um, quite young as well to be told, actually, you can't, can't do chemistry. Um, and that you've gone ahead and proved everybody wrong. But it's almost like it was the purpose in a way behind how you've ended up doing what you're doing now. So thank you for sharing that. Um, tell me how it how it works a little bit more because I'm you know, my background is in chemistry and I loved chemistry because it was so hands-on and you could blow stuff up and burn things. <laughs> um, I've talked about this before and some people, when we talk about um, their subjects, they were like, oh, I loved the way that it was like a thought process experiment, but mine was all about, let's just throw stuff in and see what happens. And I was really kind of keen on that. And the practical element of the sciences was critical for me being engaged in it. So can you talk to me a bit more about when you talk about mobile labs, am I on the same page as you? Is this what you provide? Um, yes. What happened? <clears throat> yes, you, you describe mobile labs to a T. Everyone wants to blow something up. <laughs> we, we laugh about that a lot at the office because we will work on a potential new activity idea in a content area. And someone will say, well, you have to blow something up. Our students like to be engaged in that way. They want to see what happens. You can think of it as a, either hypothesis-driven or discovery-driven as something that's driving you, right? You're, you're adding these things together. You want to see what happens. Or we see that in our students. They see a problem. They design a solution. They test it. The solution didn't work, so they redesign it. And they really like to go through those sorts of thought processes. The whole point is to help everyone be a good problem solver, to help them develop those critical thinking skills where they look at how something is working or how something is reacting, and they think about how to improve it. Um, maybe in chemistry, you're trying to make more of a product or you want the reaction to happen more quickly. Uh, in, in engineering, maybe <clears throat> we want to see if we can build it for less or make a bottle rocket go further. Um, so it's, it's about putting those tools and resources in our students' hands and empowering them to have the confidence to say, I can do this. And, and that's kind of what's really magical about the work that we do. I don't do any of it for the students and neither do any of our teachers. The students have all the things they need right in front of them. If they're using you know, micropipettes and agarose gel electrophoresis to analyze recombinant DNA, if they're looking at a column and trying to separate a certain type of protein, if they're engineering a new type of bottle rocket using just you know, um, <clears throat> vinegar and baking soda to propel that bottle, how can they design it better so that it goes faster or more further? And it, it's all about them solving these problems and all about them getting the win. Oh, you're talking my language. I absolutely love that. 
<laughs> I was the kid that was begging my mum and dad for one of these um, kits for the kitchen kits when we were little. So um, I'm yes, all all of that. You said that that was it. Ten or fifteen years you've been working at Learning Undefeated. More than fifteen. More than fifteen years. So do you collect data on the impact that this actually has on those students and the difference between the students that get access to these mobile labs and the students that don't? What's What goes on with the data here? So I'm, I am collecting a lot of data about how our experience might be impacting our participants. We're nonprofit, so there's not tons of money available to take a look at students who aren't working on our mobile lab versus students who are. And more importantly, I hate that there might be a group of students who don't get to work on my mobile laboratory. Of so we spend, <laughs> we spend a lot of time um, observing our students and asking our students as well as their teachers about how this experience might have impacted them. I spend a lot of time measuring information around their self-confidence or their self-efficacy, their belief in themselves that they can do these things, because that's really what I'm trying to influence, right? Something else I'm trying to look at is STEM identity, and you might hear this, a newer phrase coming out lately, this belief in myself and this way that I identify with it. So we want to build and foster a STEM identity in our students where they're like, they say, I enjoy this or I am good at this. And so I'm willing to have that growth mindset where I will keep working on this and I'm more likely to engage with it over and over again. I only get a short amount of time with most of our students. So the idea is how do I make that as impactful as possible? So of course, data is really important to me to figure out what those impacts might be. The secondary impact that I want to make those on their classroom teacher. So I know that I've brought this great resource to the school parking lot, but that's just one class or two classes or three classes. The teacher's going to have, the teacher's going to have so many more classes with that student. So how can I provide that teacher with the resources to maintain that momentum or that excitement among their students while still meeting their classroom goals? Oh, wow, yeah, I hadn't thought about it working both ways for the teacher as well as the student. So that's that's really interesting. The part that I, I want to ask you a bit more about is the STEM identity. Okay. So we often ask, and I, I think what I'm what I heard there was rather than saying um, when you grow up, I, I really dislike the question, what are you going to be when you grow up? Because that implies that you are going to arrive at an ending point. Like I am going to be a scientist, or I'm going to work in a bank, or I'm going to be an accountant, or whatever it is that, that that's kind of a static thing that we should aspire to. And I like to think of careers as being more of a kind of journey of discovery of that moving towards a bigger picture vision rather than arriving at a destination because you never quite arrive anywhere. And so if we have an identity as, you know, a scientist, that implies that, you know, that's the destination point. But what I heard in your STEM identity was more around self-confidence, self-belief, belief that I can do it, whatever that it is. It, am I getting this right? Yes, you're actually, I'm so glad you asked this question and, and you brought up those comments because I, I agree with you. It's less about an endpoint when we're talking about our careers and more about the pathway. What are the on-ramps and the off-ramps to the different types of things that frankly make me happy because that, that's really what my career should be about. It shouldn't feel like work. So a significant aspect of following these educational pathways towards a particular career or profession requires our personal identity. So people 
people who develop identities related to STEM engage with these topics more often and more deeply. So if we want to increase the number of individuals who choose that pathway to benefit from our education or training in STEM, or even just continue their STEM literacy, the programming must provide opportunities to foster that among the participants. So Learning Undefeated's educational programs like to support the learners to build upon that intellectual, emotional, and those cultural assets that they bring to STEM-rich activities and settings. Um, through this work, we develop a positive sense of self in science or engineering as an active process. And it becomes, it becomes an outcome of the learning process just as much as it's a component of their STEM learning. Yeah, okay. So um, I really, really appreciating that. And in terms of this self-advocacy and this self-belief and this self-confidence. How about for you personally? So have you ever had a moment in your pathway as a STEM professional where you felt a lack of self-confidence and self-belief? I think it, for me, the big turning point was when I decided to stop working in science as a researcher and start working to engage tomorrow's scientists. I, I found that I enjoyed hosting tours or working with the school groups that came to my academic research institute much more than I enjoyed the actual work I was doing in the laboratory. It, it just didn't set my world on fire. But to have a group of students who had never seen a laboratory or they were really excited to even learn what DNA was and to, to help them see it for the first time and to see that light bulb turn on, I guess that was my big epiphany as well. Um, I cared a lot more about how do I get more people into this than I cared about the actual work I was already doing. Absolutely. So that was like a turning point in terms of a boost in your self-confidence to understand more about what actually makes you fulfilled and happy in your work. Was there a moment before then? Because a lot of the people who engage in women in STEM career and confidence have a severe lack of self-confidence, that imposter syndrome that can actually be quite debilitating in terms of taking action or doing the things that they want to do in the way in which they want to do them. And I just wondered around your personal experience, have you ever had a moment or time in your life when you felt oh, that you know severe lack of self-belief or self-confidence? I have been very lucky in that I have had some amazing female role models. The the research institute I was working at was called the Institute for Genomic Research at the time. And it was led by Claire Frazier, who is this terrific woman who is so smart and who is so experienced in genomics. And she was leading this terrific effort. And I remember at the time, the, the amount of NIH funding that we were receiving as an organization was greater than any other. And she was great as a leader. And she really motivated the entire organization to be working together to solve all these great problems. So for me, the confidence was there because I knew I could do it. I was watching all these other great women, women who were my managers and leaders on a much closer level. I think for me, the crisis in confidence came later. As I said, I don't think I like this work. So, you know, questioning myself in, frankly, what was a pretty long pathway to go through my education. And I worked for 10 years at this research institute. Oh my gosh, I just gave away my age. But <laughs> to... don't worry, I'm 40 this year, right? Tell everybody. <laughs> You're at the age now where that's great. <laughs> uh, my confidence crisis came in not feeling like I was doing the right thing every day and then to suddenly find it was right in front of me what I really wanted to do. 
But I know that there are lots of women around me who do struggle with these problems. And that's why I developed a new program at Learning Undefeated called Emerging Leaders. And, and, and I'll be honest, I cannot take credit for this program. There's a great team of female educators at Learning Undefeated who said, there are a group of women out there that we think we can help. So in particular, we are working with black and Latina women who are juniors and seniors in high school and sophomores and freshmen in college. We put them together. So we show them what a mentor-mentee relationship can look like. We get them to model that with each other. We show them how they can lean on experienced women to navigate their educational and career pathways. We show them how they can support each other, stand up each other, and use all of these great tools that are available to them to continue that as they kind of go through their career pathways. And in addition, we bring female luminaries to them. They're, they can find their own Claire Frazier. Um, we've, we've got great people like Captain Charmaine Beckett from the Navy, and she comes and she talks about growing up in Detroit and her pathway to get into the Navy to become a physician. And she talks about dealing with the issues. And I, I bring in other great speakers that we've had folks from AstraZeneca, other places in the Department of Defense. We've had sp speakers from Regenerex Bio and all those great bio companies that you guys are hearing about in the news right now, making those vaccines and solving the world's problems. And they come and they talk about what it's like to face imposter syndrome, what it's like to face microaggressions and giving our young women all these tools and resources to make it through those moments. So I, I myself maybe survived it. Thankfully, I'm on the other side. I too am in my forties and I'm very happy to be successful in my career and emerging leaders at Learning Undefeated is all about helping our young women get those tools and resources now so that they can be stronger and more prepared. I'm so pleased that you brought up the topic of mentorship actually because you've had this experience that has, I'm, quite frankly, I'm very jealous of your experience because you've had a really, not jealous, but like, I'm pleased that you had that experience, that positive experience of having a female role model that is operating in the way in which you really want to emulate and that you felt um, that almost instilled self-belief and self-confidence um, just being within that mentorship kind of relationship. And for me, a mentor is someone who has walked the path that you want to walk and can make that pathway easier, smoother, faster. And so you having that experience, fantastic. For other people, though, you know, in the STEM pipeline, I see quite a lot of lack of women, especially the higher up you get in the pathway. So there's less opportunity for us to have these great female role models. So you pairing people up. Um, at earlier stages is an amazing part of that, that program that's helping people from an early stage get into the mindset of, oh, if I can see it, I can be it. I remember this moment where I was um, in the final year of my PhD, we just got married, thinking about starting to have a family. And I did that mental step, or who, who else has done that around me? And there were only five people in a department of 200 who were women. And then only two of those had young children. And I was like, oh, maybe, maybe this isn't actually that easy or that possible. And it kind of rocks your sort of thought processes a little bit. So I think having that, that part early on um, sounds like a fantastic part of the program. So tell me how you got through that moment. It is not uncommon to hear this from female professionals in particular, as they've gotten further in their education pathway. How did you get past that moment? You tell people. 
Oh, well, first of all, I just delved straight into a um, imposter syndrome thing. So I'm on that unconscious pathway. You're doing a PhD. The next step is a postdoc. You just kind of, I'm just kind of letting it unfold in front of me because I still didn't have that clarity of where it is that I wanted to make my difference. It was just all unconscious. And so it became about security, essentially, getting a secure contract so that I could have a baby. And then I only had a 12 month contract. So then it became about proving myself so that I would have another contract to come back to. So I got into a spiral of imposter induced superwoman, I would say, a pushing to prove myself era until I guess the moment where my dad had a really huge heart attack. I was on my third child by then. Um, that was the last one. Um, there are only three children. I've not continued. Um, but he had this really big heart attack when I was six, six weeks after I just had Elsie. And I mean, thankfully, he survived and he's still here today, you know, four years after that event. But it really sat me in that position of, you know, if I was to die today, what difference have I made? What tangible difference have I made in the world like where do I want to make this biggest difference and that's when it all kind of looking forward to just taking the next step but looking backwards like oh the dots are starting to connect I care about so much about all these women who have this huge talent and they're all leaving or leaving feeling like a failure and then replaying that out in the next positions I had had this coaching as part of being managing director of a spin-out company and I knew how impactful it was and it all I knew I wanted to do my own business it all kind of clicked into place I was like oh I should have my own coaching and training business I'm going to do that and that's where I'm going to make my difference that I can tangibly see and feel um so I would say I went through a superwoman phase in order to um yeah be stopped in my tracks by a life event, I would say. Well, you have built a, a tremendous resource for women. So thank you for all of your hard work. I'm sure that that was a challenging time for you to go through. And I, I'm excited to see that what came out of the other side. I, I know that there's a lot there for people to use. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really excited to hear that you've also got your own version of your program in place for the women, particularly, I know you're over in the US um, and accessing, I guess, different a different group of women as well, because tell me the age groups that you're centered around there. They're usually 16 to 22. So we're working with young women who are 16 to 22 years. In particular, we are recruiting black and Latina women, although I turn no one away. Um, but our speakers represent our students. So, and to me that, I actually have a big sign in my office that says representation matters because it's important that our students see themselves represented in what they want to do. So, you know, one of the cornerstones of the work that we do at Learning Undefeated is to expose our students to STEM professionals from all sorts of backgrounds, races, genders, ethnicities. They need to see themselves. They need to identify with that. Um, and that's one of the reasons I'm not an engineer. I didn't see female engineers. I didn't see people like me from the woods in Pennsylvania becoming engineers. So representation matters. It absolutely does. And it kind of takes me back to the film Encanto and seeing this. Have you seen Encanto? It's this Disney film. I'm really sorry. Oh, yes. No, I just saw it. Did you it's just tremendous. see it? 
Yes. So, um, and I've even forgotten the name of her, but it just reminds me of someone posting on Instagram a picture of her, the child going, it's me, it's me on the TV. You know, the first time she's ever can see herself as being a leading character in a Disney movie it was incredible um so I also have that mantra of representation matters because of my experiences too and that's um not even to do with race that's just to do with gender um yeah fantastic so I want to ask you in terms of advice so if you were to go back to a particular moment in time and I would love to pick the moment when the chemistry teacher said, no, this is not for you. Um, if you were to go back to that moment in time, what advice would you give yourself back then? That he doesn't matter. That, that really, he doesn't know me. He doesn't know you. He doesn't understand your situation right now. Whatever indicators are telling him that you're not smart enough. And by the way, any adult listening, please never tell a child they're not smart enough. Yeah. Ignore it. That's what I wish I had known. Yeah, I think that's huge and makes a huge difference to everybody listening too. There are so many moments in our lives when we get told you can't or you're not good enough or whatever it is. And it's that internal trust in yourself, trust what you know about yourself in order to move forwards. So what's the next kind of vision for the company then? That is a really good question. Learning Undefeated is at this point where we're trying to decide what is next. How do we grow? What do we do? And to be honest, the pandemic has opened a lot for everyone. Um, there were a lot of complaints about virtual learning. I'm not saying it was perfect. Kudos to all the teachers that survived it and, and helped their students get through it from the first grade teacher who spent a lot of time teaching those students how to write mouse click to the high school teacher who spent a lot of time trying to keep their students engaged. You guys have done a tremendous job. How do I continue serving those teachers is what I'm trying to ask now. But one of the things we know now is kids can learn through virtual learning and digital learning, although not ideal and not our favorite way to do things and definitely lacks a lot of inspiration, we can lean into that and use it and come up with ways to scale better, to reach more students, to continue to engage them and foster their creativity. I think that's what Learning Undefeated is really looking at now. You know, we believe that this academic enrichment programming opportunity sits in front of us and it's still a way to engage those learners and help accelerate their learning to prevent the learning loss that we're seeing in a lot of our students. And, and there's also that opportunity to continue exposing them to those careers and emphasizing that they can achieve these careers. Um, I think for us, it's about diversifying how students are learning. We know that the sage on the stage, the lecturer in front of the auditorium is probably the most boring way to learn, but somehow we all survive that. But now we know there are lots of other things that we can do through using all different types of audio and video and collaborative tools and having our students work together and help each other learn something. Um, that, that's where I think this organization wants to go. We want to make the, the next generation of mobile laboratories and they will be very technology dependent. Our mobile laboratories are creating spaces that leverage touchscreen walls, augmented reality, game-based learning to really immerse those students in their learning and have them drive what they want to do through those experiences. 
I don't like gamifying learning. So I'm not about, you know, creating competition for the sake of getting students to want to learn. Instead, I believe that actual gameplay should help those students learn. So in solving a puzzle, I am modeling something scientists and engineers will do, whether it's data modeling, um, you know, lots of different practices that we all bring to our careers every day. I want the students to do what we do so that, again, they're building that self-confidence and that self-efficacy of themselves that I can do this. And they leave with that growth mindset. I like to call the STEM mindset, this idea that Maybe I'm not good at it today, but if I continue to work at it, I know I will be good at it someday. So th those are kind of my big things. That's where I'm going, leveraging lots of different types of learning environments to help our students everywhere know that they can do this. And I love that distinction between gamifying and gameplay because the STEM kind of pathway can be highly competitive. And so actually making it more about how can I play with this rather than how can I compete against other people is I think a really much more healthy way to um, kind of learn um, as opposed to instilling from an earlier age, it's all about competition. So um, I really liked that. And I know in terms of all the people you're dealing with now are fully digital native from birth now, we, you know, um, I guess I'm a millennial, so we're still classed as digital natives, but I didn't have a mobile phone until I was 18 or an email address until I was 18. So not technically native, but from you know a young age, but all the ones, I mean, my, all my kids now, digital natives. So it's so important to move with that digital time as well and integrate that into the learning experience because we're kind of surfing that wave in a way of digital technology and it's only going to serve to increase and if you don't move with it you'll become irrelevant in a way so i like i mean it sounds amazing get on get on the is it a bus or is it a the, what does the mobile lab look like i have several mobile labs to be honest i have <laughs> some that are tractor trailers um they're they're large one is larger than my house so it's nearly a thousand square feet inside. The both sides come out and we have lots of tables and big computer screens on the wall that are touchscreen computers and giant islands that we would all be jealous of for our own kitchens. Um, <laughs> and, and then I have buses and then they get smaller. I have shipping containers and they're just 22 feet by eight feet wide. Um, and each does different things. The big ones are great. My big one right now is serving the entire state of Texas. It's going from north to south, east to west, which is really big. Um, last week, it made a move from the school it was at. It drove 895 miles, and it was still within the state of Texas. So we, we are reaching students <laughs> everywhere. Um, and then my shipping containers, we work a lot in our city schools. They need to be small and nimble and easy to get around. We, we design them for our schools in Houston and in Baltimore City in Maryland. So we, they just take up the same amount of space that a car takes up. Oh, that is so incredible. I love that you have them in all different shapes and sizes. And I'm just envisaging the next one being just something out of sci-fi. So <laughs> my brain is running away with the creativity of what that could be like. <laughs> and so your brain, give me some ideas back. I want to hear from you. What should my next face look like? Oh, I just had like, oh, it should have one of those, what do they call when they project the stars onto 
the the root like up there like a planetarium planetarium so it should have a planetarium and then it should have its own um uh robot that comes in to greet you and talk to you and take you to around the different islands and the different things and it um should be programmed to respond to those particular people of course there's going to be a touch screen uh wall where they can move things around but also um i've seen it where they have um surgeries and they actually have like the body parts on the table but you can do the surgery on the they're like mm -hmm. All the stuff, basically, Jennifer, all the stuff. <laughs> I, I want all that stuff. And so do the students. Imagine if science class felt like that every day. Ah, oh, I actually, like, I'd really like to go and play in one of the buses right now. <laughs> um, yes, there is an element of my inner scientist geek that um, I think wants to play. I think I'm going to have to take the children to Jodrell Bank this weekend now. <laughs> there you go. And, and there are... There are lots of opportunities for all of us to engage our children, our nieces, our nephews, and even our mothers. Um, so I, I would encourage everyone to seek that out, these informal environments where we continue to explore and learn. Um, there, are, there are lots of great museums out there. There are lots of great companies. I brought up AstraZeneca. They have education centers in the UK and Sweden and in the US they're supporting lots of great programs. You know, there are there are tons of places that you can go and you can spend hours and days there, or you can spend 15 minutes. Any of that will continue to foster the STEM identity, right? You want to continue engaging with it, continue building that creativity among who you're trying to support. Absolutely. And that most of them here in the UK are actually free as well, those experiences. And that's the incredible thing. Most of this that we think is going to be expensive or that we can't access is actually right at our fingertips. And the other thing that came to me there about the STEM identity, I heard some research recently, which was actually about female, or not female entrepreneurs, just, just about entrepreneurs. And they, they split them into two groups. And one set of entrepreneurs just went on a typical course. But the other set of entrepreneurs, they, um, they talked to them about using a scientific mindset. But anything that they changed in their business was a hypothesis to be tested. And they found that those that they'd explained this scientific like mindset to went on to be like a hundred times more successful in terms of cash flow than the other group. Um, it, I mean, I'm making the numbers up, but it was something ridiculous like that um, because they were more willing to adapt and change than have a fixed mindset about how something is supposed to be. So it's hard to help yourself get there, to, to recognize this isn't working and I need to start over. And I, I think that's one thing to toot my own horn for a second. One thing I've always been very good at, and, and it's because I come from science, this isn't working, the data is clear, we need to restart, we need to reconfigure that. But to also recognize that's not a bad thing. You're not taking a giant risk here. You're coming in and you're making things better. We need to refigure this. Let's test it. Let's try it again. And then let's keep only the parts that are good. All of us should really bring that every day to whatever we're doing. Absolutely. It's that ability to rethink everything. If we, when, I, when I was growing up, Pluto was still a planet. And now it's an exoplanet. And you know things that we take for granted as facts in books are only facts until not in facts, they're just hypothesis until proven otherwise to be something Correct. different. And we get so fixed in the way that we approach things. I love 
the perspective that you're bringing to children from a much earlier age and this STEM identity this scientific mindset is for everyone it's not just for those that are interested in science well said I maybe uh, maybe you would like to come and be my media representative <laughs> better than I do <laughs> oh yes my natural talent for talking <laughs> No, thank you, Jennifer. Is there anything else that you would um, you would like to add about your experiences in STEM as we're bringing this to a close today? You know, my experiences are mine. I've been very lucky. Um, I don't view that I I don't feel that I've faced a lot of adversity in my career. Um, I've been a very lucky girl. I love what I do. For me, the adversity that I feel is and how do I reach my students? I feel their adversity. How, how do I help them know that they are brilliant and essential in creating a better tomorrow? So um, for me, it's all about everyone helping our youth continue their curiosity and drive through high school, through college, if they decide to go to build a bright future in these vast amount of STEM careers that are available to them and to lean on learning undefeated or your local resource for informal engagement, formal engagement in schools, lean on those resources for connection to mentors. That, that is a huge opportunity. When you face a hurdle, someone who's already been past it, someone who has empathy to understand where you're coming from, they've experienced these sorts of things, their advice is tremendous. So don't be afraid to ask for help. I love that, thank you. And I really hope that when you make your next um, version of the AI technology um, laboratory, that I'll get an invite so that I can come and play. <laughs> I would love for you to come. I would love for you to come. Our, our new mobile lab that we're working on has a lot of the key things you're talking about, to be honest. Our students, um, remember I said they're going to use the practices of STEM, the practices of science and engineering to solve problems in this really fun, engaging way. Some people might call it an escape room. Um, we're calling it a breakout box, but all those things you were talking about, minus the robot, I'm gonna have to figure out how to bring a robot. <laughs> well, in that case, I'll have to come a bit sooner. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for being on the show today, Jennifer. I've really appreciated your perspective. Thank you for having me, I appreciate it. I've enjoyed this conversation and good luck. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Women in STEM Career and Confidence. To get further support in your journey, join me in Breakthrough Unleashed on Facebook.